This is Jake, a.k.a. Acker. And this is David, also known as Epic7. This is the MTG Tournament Cast. Your one-stop podcast for all your metagame needs. Welcome to Episode 3 of MTG Tournament Cast. We're here at the Standard Portion, and we have a Top 8 from Star City Games Atlanta. You want to talk about that, David? Yeah, so a uh, quick rundown of the top eight. We have Edgar Flores taking it down with Blue-White Callblade. Uh, we also have Corey McDuffie also with Blue-White Callblade. John Winters with a rug list. Charles Gindy with Blue-White Black Callblade. Harrison Greenberg with uh, Green-White Jumanji. Tony Chu with Blue-White Black Callblade. David McDarby with Blue-White Black Callblade. And then David... Sharfman with an interesting uh, Venser-based blue-white control deck. Yeah, that's really so, interesting. Uh, yeah, the uh, the top eight was definitely Callblade-dominated, uh, similar to last week, where we saw a complete just takeover of Callblade. Uh, we had five versions this week, uh, three of them being blue-white-black, the others being just straight blue-white. So we're going to um, deck tech Jumanji here later, and we're also going to expand on Ecker Flores' list. But um, let's go over some of the other lists and see what's notable about them. Uh, Corey McDuffie with Blue-White Callblade had two Titans main and two Luminarchs main uh, sideboard. So those are some interesting picks. I'm a huge enemy of Luminarchs in the board. I just don't like that card at all. But um, I don't know how well it did for him on the day. I guess it worked for him. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I, I guess I guess for the Luminarchs, he might have been expecting an uprising of Blue-Black Control uh, back Earlier in the season, when Blue Black was fairly dominant, uh, Lumark Ascension was a possible answer to the deck, just because they have no real enchantment hate other than Into the Royal. Uh, I know we've discussed this before, and that Lumark is a fairly weak card, especially in the late game. So if you aren't landing it on turn two, uh, it's almost a dead draw. But it's possible that because if you can stick a Lumark and get it active, Blue Black Control just can't beat you, uh, it's very possible that that was his reasoning behind playing the Luminarch Ascension. Yeah, it's an interesting plan. I just don't think it's worth the sideboard slots. Um, let's move on to John Winters. Uh, he was playing Rug, pretty stock list. Um, it's a pretty hard deck to pilot, but it looks like he did well at this tournament. You want to go over Charles Gindy? Yeah, Charles Gindy. He had a blue-white-black call blade, uh, pretty much identical to uh, Jerry T's list, uh, but he has a mortar pod. And Firewalker in the sideboard, as well as an extra day of judgment. I like so, how uh, K- I like how KYT says Mortipod. It's Mortipod. So <laughs> it's really funny. now. Did we? Uh, one thing I forgot to check: how many versions of these decks were playing, or how many Callblade variants were playing Core Firewalker in the sideboard? I know that was a big, a big piece of tech last week. Uh, did we see the same? That same kind of spread this week? If I remember correctly, there was only two playing Core Firewalker in the sideboard. Um, at least the Cobblades, uh, Tony Chu and Charles Guinea had very similar sideboards. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I don't see any, uh, I don't see any Core Firewalkers in Edgar Flores' winning list, although I do see Lion of Sanctity, which is something we'll have to talk more about when we, uh, go over his deck list more in depth. Yeah, I've been running Edgar Flores' list, uh, last night. I looked at his list and I thought I was the best, and he won today, so that was really fun. Um, let's see here. We're gonna go over Harrison later. Um, Tony Chu was another blue-white-black list, but he ran Grave Titan and Hero Bladehold main deck, going for a little bit more, uh, a little bit more aggressive style there. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, 
I think he's going for the the tech that came out of the Grand Prix, which was Hero of Bladehold. And seeing it in action, I really do like uh, Hero of Hero of Bladehold in the deck. It is kind of like a baby Grave Titan if you can let it stick until your next turn. Yeah, it's definitely true. So we have David McDarby with Blue White Black Cobblade, pretty similar to the rest of the list. Nothing that interesting about it. And uh, David Sharpman. With a surprise deck in blue-white control, this has got no Squadron Hawks, no Stoneforge Mystics. Um, he's basically playing Vincer with uh, Contagion Clasps, Walls, Tumble Magnets, Spreading Seas, Chalice, Sun Titan, all the cards that go into a proliferate Vincer deck. So it was really interesting. He said that his worst matchup was Cobblade, so it obviously worked for him, but uh, he didn't win the top eight, so... Yeah, that that seems kind of awkward that you would take a deck that's worst matchup is Cobblade to a tournament that's been so heavily dominated by Cobblade. I mean, obviously it worked out well for him, but it it doesn't seem like a smart play. Yeah, well, um, the th- nice thing about Cobblade is that even though it's finishing very well, it doesn't make it like an insane part of metagame like Jun did. Jun was insanely played and did well at the end. Cobblade is mediocrely played and and finishes well because there's a lot of good pilots playing him. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. Um, let's see here. So, I think we should go over the uh, deck tech on Harrison Greenberg's, uh, Greenberg's Jumanji deck. You want to start All that right. off? Uh, sure. So, uh, Harrison Greenberg, along with Lewis Laskin, were the kind of inventors of this green-white Jumanji archetype. Uh, I believe it debuted, I want to say, two or three weeks ago uh, up in Edison, and it's basically a Fauna Shaman Benchbind deck. You play four turn one, or I'm sorry, eight turn one mana accelerants uh, in the form of Land War Elves and Birds of Paradise. Uh, your two drops include Lotus Cobra and Fauna Shaman and Squadron Hawk. Uh, Squadron Hawk being really good at recurring Benchbinds, at uh, being fodder for your Fauna Shamans, and just being good creatures. I mean, Squadron Hawk is dominating the format. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got uh, some interesting one-ofs. We have a one-of Souls Attendant, which I can assume is versus the red decks, I or uh, like decks it. that are trying to burn you out. I still don't like it. <laughs> I, I've uh, heard I do. It seems really weak to me. Especially if you draw it and you don't have a Fauna Shaman to pitch it to. True. Although it is, uh, it is a one-drop, so it is very easy to use that to recur a Vengevine if, uh, if you want to stay low on the curve. Uh, another interesting one of that we have is uh, Molten Tail Masticore, which Harrison Greenberg was talking on SCG Live about how powerful the card had been for him throughout the day. Uh, we also have Phyrexian Revoker as like a kind of a pithy needle of sorts. We have Acidic Slime, Baneslayer Angel, Obstinate Bailoff, and then a Linvala Keeper of Silence. So he's got some interesting tutor targets in the main board. Uh, the deck is mostly creatures. The only spells are three lead the stampede and two overwhelming stampede. Uh, Harrison also commented that lead the stampede comes out in a lot of matchups. Yes, yes. Uh, especially since you're boarding in the majority of your cards. Uh, you're usually boarding in spells, so you don't. Your your lead the stampede is worse after board, so you yeah. decide it out. Yeah, you have less of a chance of hitting creatures, but game one it's still very important. Uh, and then the mana, bla- mana base, we have a pretty typical uh, green-white spread. We have four Razor Verge Thicket, three Stirring Wildwood, three Sun Petal Grove, uh, a full set of Verdant Catacombs, as well as two Marsh Flats, uh, those being for the Lotus Cobras to get some turn three Baneslayer Angels or just explosive starts. 
Uh, we also have two Tectonic Edge, which is really good right now. I think Tectonic Edge is one of the best cards in Standard, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, but just the fact that the call variants are running very flimsy mana bases, and uh, even Valakut, being able to hit their Valakuts is really important with this deck, because this deck definitely does have a tough time against Valakut. It's a very tough time against Valakut. Um, as we'll see in his sideboard here, uh, four, choir, four core Firewalker, two Viridian Corruptor, three Journey to Nowhere, three Leyline of Sanctity, three Memorside, and a Swamp. He's definitely set up his sideboard to beat Valakut here. Oh, most definitely. We have the the three Memorside package, which I'm a big fan of. A lot of people... Uh, before this tournament, not knowing the deck, or knowing knowing the deck in its original green-white form, uh, would definitely not be expecting the Swamp and Memberside out of the sideboard. So that's that's pretty interesting tech. I also, I'm not a fan of Lilline of Sanctity, but with the explosion of Mono Red and uh, the bad Valakut matchup, I can see where having the Lilline could be useful, though I honestly feel like it's a dead card uh, if you happen to draw it late game. Or yeah. if you don't get it on that turn zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only card that I do like to member side is Primeval Titan, and that's exactly what he's trying to do with this deck. As long as you can member side Primeval Titan, you definitely have the ability to just beat them in time. I mean, they do have uh, Inferno Titans, but you can out, you can just Vengevine through those. So um, it definitely gives them a shot in that matchup. Although I did see yeah, him bring it in against uh, Cobblade in the top eight, and that was that seemed like a really bad play, and it probably lost in that match. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, an interesting sidebar, I've been looking for a deck for Grand Prix Dallas, and I saw a, an interesting take on this green-white archetype that uh, it's a bit slower. It doesn't run the Lead the Stampede, Overwhelming Stampede package, but instead it runs four Green Sun Zenith, mm-hmm. um, as well as a Stoneforge package, and a full set of Tectonic Edges. So it's a bit more of a... It, it, it doesn't have the same explosive starts, but it still has the Fauna Shaman, Lotus Cobra, Vengevine kind of package. Uh, it packs four Baneslayer Angels, which I thought was huge. And then it also has three Gideon and two Garuk in the main board. Um, so there's definitely a lot of room to play with this green-white aggro sort of archetype. And I expect it to at least make it to day two uh, at the Grand Prix, just because I think it has so much game against Cobblade. I think the reason why this um, type of deck is doing well at the moment is because blue-white-black Cobblade has a huge problem with these uh, mana accelerating creature decks that can uh, accelerate into Vengevines and the such. Um, without the Day of Judgments, you just lose a lot of value against these decks, and he was preying on those type of decks. He lost to one in the top eight, but I think that's because he uh, misplayed and played member side against him. Yeah. So let's see here. Um, let's also talk about Edgar Flores' deck. I've been running this recently, and I think it's the best deck in standard right now. Um, I think that it's got a little bit less of a... It's probably a little bit of an underdog against blue-white-black Cobblade, but I don't think that makes up for the rest of the bonuses it gains against the rest of the field. Um, it's got... Two Sword of Pieces of Famine, as we were talking about last week, as a way to make sure that if they discard your first one, you still have another one to work with. It's got the two Tumble Magnets and two End of the Royals. Those, those are the big cards that are different about this deck. Um, End of the Royals is a nice way to, as a catch-all right now, it deals for Phyrexian Crusader, a lot of random cards. Um, you can get rid of a Gideon and swing in for Lethal or 
just get your sword in. Uh, just a lot of things you can do with it. So I really like it right now. And it's a fine play if you uh, have a lot of card advantage, but you need to get a little bit of tempo. Um, it's just a great play there sometimes. And uh, in the sideboard, uh, he's got Volition Reigns as another interesting card, along with Leyline of Sanctity. I'm not a big fan of the Sanctity, Leyline of Sanctity. I mean, it's good in turn zero, but it's really bad on turn four or the rest of the game. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I think if he was boarding it in for Valakut, I mean, this deck already has uh, a fairly good Valakut matchup. The blue-white version of the three Callblade decks, I think, had has always had the best game against Valakut. So if he was bringing it in for that, I think he was just kind of trying to sure up that matchup. Uh, if he was bringing it in for Mono Red, again, Mono Red uh, usually has a tough time with the traditional blue-white Callblade version or list uh and he's he already has ousts in his sideboard which i'm actually surprised he's not playing condemn because the uh blue white black versions have been using condemn over oust and i think that right now condemn is just a better card because the reason why the reason why we're using oust in blue white pure is because we don't have ability to interact with uh mana acceleration creatures blue white black can doom blade or go for the throat mana acceleration creatures when you're playing Condemns in blue-white pure, you just have no way to stop a Draga Tree Speaker from a Jazzy Green or a Overgrown Battlement from Valakut, and those are very important. So the Oust comes in here as a catch-all. It's a little bit worse in some areas, but it fits blue-white pure better because it does not have the ability to go after mana creatures with Condemn. Well, that makes sense. Um, now, another another interesting thing that I'm noticing in his sideboard is only two Flash Freeze. Now, uh, normally, as we've, as we've mentioned before, uh, these Cobblade decks tend to max out on Flash Freezes because of the Valakut decks and the Mono Red decks, and seeing him only running two is fairly surprising. Yeah, well, the Blue, White, Black usually maxes out because they have very few counters main board, usually three or two. Um, this deck has six counters main board, and this does bring up a count to eight. Um, I think he could use another one. If I had... I probably would cut Leyline of Sanctity in this deck. It's just too random for my taste. I mean, of course, it's a fine card on turn zero against a lot of decks. Um, but I, I, I've even lost... I lost a game where I had one on turn zero because I just drew lands and extra ley lines, And I was sitting there with my hand, and my opponent just beat me down. So that was definitely frustrating. I just... I'm not a big fan of the card. It's, it's too swinging in power level for me. So I think I'd cut those, maybe add another Flash Reason fill out the rest of my sideboard, but it's it's definitely working for him, so um, it's really, really interesting. Now, do you think he should have Mortarpod in the deck? Uh, Mortarpod is a card that's been showing up more and more, and uh, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be running it. Uh, you, you've been playing the deck. Do you have any insight on that? Uh, Mortarpod? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, actually, that might be a great sideboard card here. Um, it gives him another way to kill Cobras on the play. Um, with a Stoneforge Mystic. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll go in one of those Leyline of Sanctity spots. But um, I definitely like those Volition Reigns in there. Uh, it's a great way to trump your opponents. It's also pretty good against um, Eldrazi Green, too. If they <laughs> if they put in an Ulamog, just uh, take it there. And sometimes they have trouble with that. So That's pretty interesting. I had, I had wondered why the Volition Reigns were in the sideboard. I've almost never seen them used on... Uh, any of the SCG Live matches that I watch of Cobblade, so 
uh, it's really interesting that you've kind of pointed out why the Volition Reigns are in there. Uh, I never would have thought of that. I think it's actually pretty good in the mirror, too. Um, I've been using them today. I'm not sure if it's the correct sideboarding, but um, when your opponent taps out, they think it can get a Jason, and you untap and you Volition Reigns them, it's the worst thing ever, especially if they plus two to get around a uh, Celestial Colonnade on your side. You're like, okay, I'll take those two extra counters and then I'll play storm. <laughs> but it's definitely yeah. interesting. I think it's worth it in the sideboard against the mirror match. But I, I don't have any, I don't have too much knowledge on it yet. But I, I definitely like it. So, yeah. uh, well, this is, this is definitely a deck that, uh, I'm highly considering for the Grand Prix. Uh, I've yet to decide, but right now the two biggest contenders for me are Blue White Call Blade or the, uh, a Green White Aggro variant. Uh, I'm just not sure which deck I'll end up sleeping up. Uh, there might be something that comes out in the next week that really catches my eye, but right now this is definitely my pick for the best deck in standard and I think would be a really good contender in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's my favorite deck right now, and if nothing changes, I'm probably going to play this in Dallas if I can. So awesome. let's move over to Pure Blue White Cobblade versus uh, Esper Blade um, as a debate here. What I'd say is that Cobblade gets better matchups against most of the field, um, especially Valakut and creature decks that rely heavily on creatures. <laughs> With Esper <laughs> Judgments is just really nice against, to have against them. And everybody's overextending against these blue-white-black decks, and they have no way to really punish them except for the one Day of Judgment main board and maybe the one they have in the sideboard. And I think the reason that blue-white-black still is around is it can prey on the blue-white Cobblade decks. But I, I don't know if it's worth it just for that extra percentage against blue-white, since the field is not going to be that heavily Cobblade. Even though it's the best deck, as we said before, it's just not being played the same as a Jun-type deck because it's a little, a little bit harder to play, it's pretty expensive, it just doesn't take up as much of the field as other top decks have. Oh, I, I agree completely, and um, it's kind of a, an interesting debate since we're both on the same side of the argument, but uh, I definitely, I do think that the Blue-White Cobblade deck is the best for the, the meta right now. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, something that I think Gavin Verhey pointed out on SCG Live, is that the Cobblade decks kind of have their own meta, uh, we started out with traditional blue-white call blade, or really blue-white call go back before yeah. Reardon Besiege was released with uh, Brian Kibler. And then when blue-white call blade got big after the Pro Tour, uh, the blue-white red version showed up to kind of trump that mirror match. And then with the blue-white red version showing up, then the blue-white black version showed up to trump that mirror match. So I think it's interesting that we've kind of come full circle and now... Sparkblade has almost completely fallen out of contention. I haven't seen a Sparkblade list in uh, in the top eight of one of these tournaments. I mean, I think we saw maybe one last week, but there's definitely not a high percentage of players playing the Sparkblade. It's either people who are on the Jerry T bandwagon and playing the black, or people who are just sticking to blue-white pure. And uh, as you can see, Edgar Flores won the whole tournament with blue-white pure. So, I mean, yeah. it's... It's a good deck. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think Sparkblade's pretty obsolete right now. Speaking of obsolete, uh, Blue Black Control did not show up today. I'm thinking. Yeah, what's up with that? Uh, I'm. I don't know if it's good enough. Uh, LSV was talking on Twitter. He said he didn't think that um, the Europeans were telling him that. Uh, it was him and Chapin. They were. They were telling the Europeans were telling Chapin and LSV that uh, they thought Blue Black had a good match against Cobblade, but it didn't show up today. And I think that I think that the blue black cobblade, I mean the blue black deck was just a um, blip on the screen, and I don't know if it's going to last. Um, what do you think? Um, now the 
I've been hearing a lot of talk that Blue Black actually has a good matchup versus Callblade. Uh, I believe there was an article over the course of the week that basically gave out the conclusion that the Blue Black deck has no bad matchup in the format, um, which I disagree with, or at least the versions that uh, Guillaume Wafatapa and uh, the guy who actually won the GP, whose name Shite slips my... I think so, yeah. His, his name... Uh, slips at me for the moment, but I think that their versions of the deck don't necessarily have what it takes to beat Callblade, although uh, there was some interesting tech that I, I'd i been hearing, and that was uh, having four of the Phyrexian Crusader in the sideboard for both the mono-red matchup and for the Callblade matchup, uh, and I mean, I think with that, the deck might have a better shot against Callblade and against the field, but I don't know, I just, I think it's an an obsolete deck. I think it's just not where it needs to be in this standard metagame right now. I don't know. That seems... Phyrexian Crusader in the Infect deck is really, really strong. But for a blue-black deck to bring it in, it seems rather weak. I mean, it doesn't stop uh, Squadron Hawks with swords. Um, True. And it, it just... Well, I, without, without the Proliferate or Scytherix to threaten poison damage, it's got to get in there five times. So unless you have two of them on board... You're swinging five times through, so you're not back blocking. I, I just don't like it at all. Yeah, well, I, I kind of compared it. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and I kind of compared it to Black's version of Core Firewalker, which is basically what it would be. It would be shoring up the Boros and the Mono Red matchups more so than the Cobblade matchup, uh, because obviously Blue Black doesn't have access to Core Firewalker, so uh, Phyrexian Crusader is kind of fills that role in the blue-black control deck, and it's also of note that it can trade with, or it, it can beat a 3-3, and yeah. which I think is pretty pretty good by itself. The, the combination of First Strike and Death Touch, or I mean, uh, First Strike and Infect, makes for a very interesting combat state, where it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to attack into a Phyrexian Crusader, uh, even if your creature isn't red or white. Um, you need at least a 4-4 to kill it. and 4-3. Then a 4-3 to kill it. You're right, Vegvine does kill yeah. it. Um, so you need at least a 4-3, but then your 4-3 is left as a 2-1 after combat. So, I mean, Crusader, I think Phyrexian Crusader definitely has the potential to show up in the sideboards of blue-black deck. Okay, and so let's talk about this other uh list that was making a few waves there. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah, you don't like this deck, but no. I actually, I, I really like it. I think it's, it, for, those, for those of you who don't know, it's basically a uh, a version of Rug or Bug. Uh, the guy who played it, Donnie Noland, uh, said that he had been playing Bug, he had been playing Rug, but the card he didn't like most was Jace, which is pretty surprising <laughs> seeing as Jace just demolishes the format, <laughs> but... So he decided to switch it up. He decided to make it Jund. Uh, he's playing a large number of threats. He has a Worm Coil Engine, two Abyssal Persecutor, two Grave Titan, two Inferno Titan, and then four Lotus Cobra and three Oracle of Moldiah to kind of power out that mana engine. Uh, and then he has Go for the Throat, Lightning Bolt, Red Sun Zenith, and Consuming Vapors as removal for either his Persecutor or opposing creatures. And then he has a fairly interesting Planeswalker package consisting of two Garuk, two Sarkin the Mad, a Liliana Vess, and a Chandra Nalar. Now, uh, Liliana we saw in the Blue Black Control decks last week, 
But other than that, she hasn't been played in standard anytime recently. And that goes the same for Chandra and Sarkin, uh, both of which have seen little to no play in standard. So he's essentially, it's essentially a rug that takes out all the counter spells and disruption for a little bit more removal and just more threats. I don't like it because main board is horrible against Valakut. He has member sides in the sideboard for that matchup, but I, I still don't like that right there. Um, as well as the fact that, um, he may prey on the blue, white, black cobblades as we were talking about before, because Inquisitions are not that great against this deck. Once a, uh, if a Lotus Cobra's in play, if he gets his Lotus Cobra in play, or if, if they don't catch a Lotus Cobra, it could be pretty bad against this deck, because he has a lot of threats that are over three cost. Um, he's just, it's a brute force deck. And I've never been a big fan of brute force decks. There's very little finesse to this deck, in my opinion. I mean, you do have the Lotus Cobra Oracle package, so there's a little bit of finesse there, but for the most part, it's just Titans and Titans. And Abyssal Persecutor and Wormcoil Engine and a few Planeswalkers, so definitely not my yeah. style. Well, I, I like the, uh, he was talking about the deck on SCG Live and the fact that with a turn two Cobra or a turn two Explore, you can have Persecutor on turn three. I think that's really powerful. And even though Persecutor isn't necessarily the greatest against Sword of Feast of Famine, He's still a threat against a lot of decks. I mean, if you drop him on turn three against Valakut, you're putting them on a fairly quick clock, uh, and then all you have to do, then you have a, a blocker that can trade with their Inferno Titan that you can get out the turn before they get out there. Or not Inferno Titan, Primeval Titan. Uh, so you have a threat that can sit in front of their Primeval Titan or their Inferno Titan, and you have a 6-6 beater, uh, with Flying and Tramples, so. I mean, I, I really like the deck. I think it's definitely a deck that I'm going to test in the coming weeks, and if I get good results, I may end up playing it at Dallas. But uh, that that being said, I don't know if his, his list is necessarily, necessarily optimal. So it, it'll take some looking into. Okay, well, I think that'll wrap us up. Uh, do you have anything else to say in our standard segment? I'd like to comment on uh, Louis Laskin's uh, Santa Claus deck real quick. Uh, this is This was a blue-red-green aggro deck featuring uh, Unified Will, which is a card that hasn't been seen in a while. Um, and it, it's basically a, a red-green aggro shell with uh, blue for Trinket Mage, which fetches uh, Signal Pest, and uh, Unified Will. That was the only reason blue was in there. Uh, now, Lewis Laskin ended up not doing so well with the deck, but I got to watch him just demolish a Kago player. So, I, I think... Hero of Oxid Ridge, which Louis Laskin called Santa Claus uh, in what he named the deck after, I think Hero of Oxid Ridge really shows its power in a deck like that because he was able to just completely swing through a board of hawks. Uh, so I think Hero of Oxid Ridge is a card that we should definitely be on the lookout for uh, in the coming weeks because of how good it is against Callblade. Uh, and really both of the heroes are cards that I think a lot of people originally either underestimated or didn't bother trying, but I think now that people are putting them in the Callblade decks and putting them in various aggro decks, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of those two cards in the in the coming months. Definitely, definitely. Okay, we'll see you in the Legacy segment. Welcome to the Legacy segment. So... 
what an amazing top eight here. Um, you want to go over the list, David? Uh, yeah, so uh, this is from Star City Atlanta, as we've been talking about. Uh, the first place deck was Jesse Hatfield with High Tide. Um, an interesting thing to note, his brother, Alex Hatfield, also uh, made the top eight with High Tide, uh, finishing up in third place. Uh, continuing down the list, we have in second place, David Thomas with Dredge. Uh, in third place, as I said, we had the other Hatfield brother with High Tide. Uh, in fourth, we have David Vaux with Elf Combo. In fifth, we have Caleb Durward with a Bant Aggro list, which uh, we'll discuss more in a little bit. Uh, we have Christopher Hackleman with another Dredge list. We have Pat Cox with a Zoo list. And then rounding out the top eight is Todd Anderson with a Natural Order Bant. So that's really interesting. Um, I saw, I got to see uh, a little bit of these high tide matches, and man, I'll tell you, there's some pretty, pretty crazy stuff there. Um, the final oh, yeah. match was a high tide versus dredge, and it's this dredge list uh, with uh, lion's eye diamonds is definitely a favorite in this matchup. Uh, as, um, I think it was Drew Levin was saying on Twitter, but uh, he pulled it out. Uh, Jesse Hatfield pulled it out with a little bit of uh, playing to his outs there in the final game. So it was definitely very. It was a, it was a top deck kill, and it was very interesting to watch. Um, oh yeah, I agree. Um, an interesting thing to note about this dredge list that did come in second place. Uh, this is the Lion's Eye Diamond version of dredge, which uh, you it, it isn't as popular as the uh, more common version of dredge, which features. Um, it's, it's more of a five-color list, which features more discard outlets, uh, different types of hate in the sideboard. Um, I, I can't think of the specific cards off the top of my head, but this is more of a straight, um, a straight blue-black version. I mean, the guy, David Thomas, was even running, uh, four Dark Slick Shores because Dredge usually only has a couple of lands, so the four Dark Slick Shores were essentially another four copies of Underground Sea for him, uh, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, um, if Dredge goes over, Three lands, it's usually not the best situation for them anyway, so they definitely the Dark Slick Shores are almost the same as a um blue black land there. I agree. And also uh the lack of the uh, various pain lands that Dredge would have to run, uh City of Brass, that whole uh that whole group of lands, uh which let them play the, the five color version. This is a more streamlined blue-black version, so they're not taking as much damage from themselves, which definitely helps out in like the burn matchups and the zoo matchups, and really against any aggro deck where if you're taking points of damage from your lands, that just makes it easier for your opponent to kill you. Definitely. So, uh, of note from this second-place list, uh, there is no Iona in either the main board or the sideboard. Uh, Iona is usually the uh, go-to... Dread return target uh, in either the main board or the sideboard for Dredge because it can shut off so many decks. I mean, if if he had been playing Iona in that in the finals, he could have easily Dread return for Iona, naming blue, and that would completely shut off uh, everything that the mono blue high tide deck would want to do. So it's very interesting that actually both of the Dredge decks in the top eight were not running Iona. I actually don't think that came up. Um... Uh, most of the time when he's uh, dread returning, he's hitting flank and zealot for the kill that turn, or he's hitting a um, uh, sphinx of lost truths to fuel his dredge because he doesn't have enough cards in his graveyard yet. 
But um, it definitely could come up with some situations, but I don't think it's that worse of a play. And I think he still had a good match. It just got a little bit unlucky there. Um, so yeah, let's talk luck about is... High Tide. Um, uh-huh. As you may know, High Tide is based around the card High Tide and using um, cards like Time Spiral and Candelabra of Thanos to, in turn, about to increase your mana and keep on drawing cards, build up your storm count, so you can eventually cunning wish for a brain freeze, um, that type, or get a uh, blue sun make, make your opponent draw his whole deck. So that was yeah. So yeah, there's a couple of different outs. Uh, one thing, uh, or a couple interesting things about uh, the two high tide decks that were in the top eight. I believe there's only two. Yeah. Um, both of them were running Intuition, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, intuition was something that had been talked about, but was not necessarily something that we were seeing in the High Tide decks. But being able to Intuition for, you know, your time your spiral or, yeah. yeah, or any combo pieces is really powerful in a deck like this, especially since the deck is basically card draw and control, <laughs> like okay. control elements. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's pretty much a uh, demonic tutor for blue at instant speed, for the most part. So especially since you're shuffling your graveyard back into your library with time spiral, um, you don't really care about the extra copies going in the graveyard. You're gonna get them back um, when you shuffle them in. So, definitely a great way to go for that deck. Uh, let's move down here to um, elves. So that was a, a, a combo list as opposed to aggro we had last week. Um, he had Emberwool to combo into there. Uh, yeah, he had the uh, the pretty standard uh, Heritage Druid, Nettle Sentinel, Priest of Titania, Regal Force, Wirewood Symbiote. I mean, this is this is your you know, just your traditional elf combo deck. It has a Glimpse of Nature. It has Green Sun Zenith. Um, an interesting card is Concordant Crossroads. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's uh, one mana green enchantment. Uh, that says creatures can't attack or use abilities that include tap in the activation cost as soon as they come into play on their controller side. So basically, it uh, it stops haste creatures, I guess. I guess uh, that's what it's. It can. Um, it gives all creatures haste. It's a world enchantment that says all creatures have. Haste. Oh, can attack. Oh, okay. I completely misread that. So actually, wow, that's actually really cool. Um, giving your elves such as uh, priest of Titania or uh, Elvish Archdruid who can generate massive amounts of mana, uh, letting them tap as soon as they come to play. That's pretty powerful. I like that inclusion in the deck. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really nice. Um, uh, world enchantments are not something you run across very recent, uh, very often. It's an old magic type of card. Um, it's essentially a legendary type of enchantment. Um, there, you can only have one enchant world out at a time, and most of them are really bad, but this one's very nice. Giving all your creatures haste turns makes all of your creatures free that make mana. So Lanowalf does not cost any mana; he makes the mana right back. I wish Archdruid actually acts as a ritual in that situation. You just get a lot of interesting stuff. And in does he have uh, Glimpse of Nature's in here? Yes, he has Glimpse of Nature. So when you when your creatures are put to play this creature for free, draw a card. You tend to do very well. So that's definitely a great card in that deck, and he already has the ability to work with his other elf cards to make mana too, so just insane amount of mana and cards you can draw when you get things going. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I've always been a 
been a fan of Combo Elves. Uh, I've never actually played the deck, but I love just watching it go off and having a massive board position on turn two or three. Okay, so Caleb Dur- Durward played Bant Aggro, essentially no Bant without the natural order. Um, so he's essentially just beaten down with little dudes and playing a little bit of counter magic? Pretty much. Uh, we have a, a pretty interesting list here. I'm looking at it right now. He's got a Sword of Fire and Ice, three Knight of the Reliquary, four Noble Hierarch, two Quisalic Pride Mage, a Rock's War Monk, two Sower of Temptation, two Stoneforge Mystic, two Tarmogoyf, four Brainstorm, four Force of Will, four Swords of Plowshares, one Umazawa's Jite, three Vendillion Click, a single Jace the Mind Sculptor, three Green Sun Zenith, and a Ponder. Uh, so basically it's an aggressive Bant deck. Uh, you've got the Force of Will as Counterspell. You have the four Brainstorm and Ponder to dig for threats. You have the Green Sun Zenith, which is really good at tutoring for some interesting hate cards out of the sideboard, such as Gadok Teague, Trigon Predator, um, as well as cards in the main board, like Tarmogoy for Green. Rocks War Monk. Green Sun Zenith is really good at Gadok Teague, I heard. So I've heard. <laughs> well, it's good to go get Gadog Teague. It's it's not so good after Gadog Teague is in play. Yeah, um, I don't know if he does it, but I mean, I guess it works. If he, I guess if it, if it does happen, yeah, he only has one Gadog Teague in the sideboard, so I guess it is his plan. It just seems kind of weird to have those in the same setup. But if you need Gadog Teague, I guess you need Gadog Teague. Um, mm-hmm. Well, he's so, I, he's so good against High Tide. Like I just watched a a zoo player completely demolish a high tide player by resolving a uh, cannonist and then um, get up to because uh, the the uh, the high tide decks run repeal and yeah. ways to get rid of the cannonist, but the get up because it stops all the X converted mana cost spells, so it stops the blue sun zenith, it stops repeal. Uh, it it's stop- just really powerful in that matchup. It doesn't stop Echoing Truth, though, so he, he may have been playing a not-optimal list if he didn't have Echoing Truths. Actually, um, I think some of the some of the lists are running Snap uh, because it lets you untap two lands. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see here. Um, Pat Cox was running a Zoo, zoo list there? Yep, pretty uh, nothing exciting here, pretty standard, just uh, Lightning Helixes, Curd Apes, Lone Lions, Knight of the Reliquaries... A uh, little bit of a Stoneforge package. A uh, bit interesting. He's running a mainboard sort of body in mind and a sideboard sort of fire and ice. Usually, uh, you see sort of fire and ice in the mainboard of these uh, aggressive type decks, whether it be Zoo or Death and Taxes. Uh, but he went for a sort of body in mind, so I wonder if that was a response to the High Tide deck or a maybe something concern. of that sort. Like, it may have been a bunch of concern, but he had a sort of fire and ice in the sideboard, and usually okay. these decks only run one copy of this, of uh, each sword. Uh, so, other than that, it looks pretty standard. Uh, he he went with Path to Exile over Sword Supply Shares in the main board, which I thought yeah. was pretty interesting. Uh, it's pretty but, common for Zoo, actually. Um, most really? decks don't play basic lands. There are a few decks that do, but um, Zoo does not want to give you extra life, so um, they'll they'll take the occasional basic land for your opponent instead of giving your opponent life there. Um, if you're playing a troll deck, definitely stick with swords over the case that you might run into somebody that has basic lands. But against decks, against when you're playing an aggressive deck, the life gain really hurts. Um, so definitely, I like Path to Exile there for Zoo. Um, let's see here. I, I skipped over Christopher Hackleman, so he was Dredge again, right? 
Uh, yeah, he had a slightly different variation of Dredge. He was running uh, four Ickards as opposed to two that the second place deck ran. And also, he doesn't have any Lion's Eye Diamonds. He is uh, more of the traditional version of Dredge with City of Brass, Gemstone Mine, Tarnished Citadel, uh, that whole ordeal. Uh, out of the sideboard, he's got some interesting cards. He has a one of Terastodon, which is really good against Enchantress and uh, other problem cards. He also has four Lyland of the Void, which is a card I actually expected coming into this tournament because of how well graveyard-based decks did last week. I actually expected a lot of graveyard hate this week, so I'm pretty surprised to see two dredge decks in the top eight and one making it all the way to the finals. Uh, I think last week I said don't play a graveyard deck in Legacy, so... Obviously, these dredge players weren't afraid of the hate and made it pretty far. Yeah. And finally, we had Tana Anderson there with Natural Order Bant. Um, you said it was basically like AJ's list. Yeah, it's, and the Natural Order Bant deck is pretty common. There's not too much variation. Uh, he has a one of Fauna Shaman, a one of Terravore, a one of Trigon Predator in the main. Uh, all of which can be tutored with his Green Sun Zenith, but basically what you're just trying to do is uh, get out like a Dryad Arbor and then cast Natural Order to put your Progenitus into play. Yeah. Okay, so um, it was nice the the uh, Hatfields did well. Uh, there was a lot of talk about having brothers in the top eight and both playing the same deck. So uh, I thought that was really fun. What did you think about yeah, that? It was, it was something cool to note. It was something uh, that doesn't happen too often that you see two brothers running, I'm pretty sure, identical deck lists, uh, making it into the top eight, and actually would have played against each other in the finals, but uh, unfortunately Alex was defeated by David Thomas, who went on to uh, lose against the other Hatfield brother. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, he, his brother got revenge for Alex's surprise <laughs> there. Um, Definitely. I wanted to put a spotlight on the last episode of Crazy Talk. It's Crazy Talk episode 5. They did an mm-hmm. interview with Drew Levin, and I thought it was a fantastic listen to. So that is definitely something I think you should check out if you're really interested in Legacy. I also heard that um, a certain someone beat a Emrakul, a Sakashima Emrakul, and a Progenitus today. Uh, tell me how you did that, David. Yeah, that was actually... Uh one of my prouder moments in Legacy. Uh, I've, I have a story about that, and then I have another interesting story to tell. But yeah, basically, I was going up against Hypergenesis, and which I didn't realize that was a deck in Legacy, but apparently it is. Uh, so yeah, he he resolves his Hypergenesis, and he lays down Progenitus, Emrakul, and then Sakashima as a copy of Emrakul. And uh, so from my hand, I lay down uh, a Mangara. Uh, so I was able to untap Mangara, one of his Emrakuls, Caracas, his other Emrakul, and then I had a Mother of Runes on the board, so I was able to give my creature equipped with, I think it was equipped with the Jite, uh, protection sort of from... Sword of Fire Knights, I believe. Or Sword of Fire Knights, you're right. Uh, and then my opponent was at 6, and I had a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, so I was able to give my, I think it was a Pride Mage, I was able to give Pride Mage protection from, I think I chose green. Uh, and then I swung in, and with this sort of fire nice trigger and the four damage, I was able to get there. But you didn't need that because it has pro red and blue, pro blue, so it's already pro progenitus. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that at the time, but, <laughs> but still it, it sounded good. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, also later on, this was in a daily event on Magic Online. Uh, game two against that same opponent, 
he uh, he was on the play, and he goes, Tropical Island, Exile Two Simian Spirit Guides, Show and Tell, uh, I think it was, yeah, yeah, Show and Tell Emrakul. And I was like, all right, Mangara. And then untap, <laughs> exile your Emrakul, play a Mother of Runes, pass the turn. And having used four cards from his hand just to get that Emrakul into play, and then only to have it exiled by my Mangara was... Pretty pretty rough for him. I'm sure he was kicking himself when uh, when I dropped that Mangara, but it was very fulfilling for me to uh, take what usually would have been an unwinnable situation and just completely take over. Yeah, I, I definitely like four for one, so that's definitely a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I heard those quickly. Include. Just get a little high, uh, talk about your little deck list and how you did the daily today. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, well, I've been running Junkin Taxes. Uh, I'm a big fan of the deck. It has it packs a lot of punch. It's uh, Tarmogoyf, Star Confidants, uh, Aether Vile. I mean, it's it's your pretty standard Aether Vile deck. Uh, I've been doing really well with it. It definitely was a good choice for me getting into Legacy because it it doesn't have the highest uh, learning curve. I mean, it's it's not an easy deck to play, but you know, it's it was definitely a good choice for me getting into Legacy, and I'm just having so much fun with it. Uh, you could do some pretty insane things with Aether Vile. Uh, you've got Mangara with uh, Caracas that can just take over games. Uh, I love flashing in Tarmogoyfs and uh, Crystallic Pride Mages to deal with GTAs. It's it's just a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying the deck. Okay, cool. So you went 3-1 at daily event? I did, I did. Uh, nice. My loss was to a zoo deck. Very nice. Okay, so uh, let's wrap this up here, unless you have something else to talk about. Um, a quick shout out to Lewis Laskin, who was playing a very interesting uh, black-white hate bear deck. Uh, he just barely missed top 16, taking a loss in uh, the final round. But his deck was really great. It was uh, Aether Vile. It had Thoughtseize. It had Cabal Therapy, uh, Tide Hollow Sculler, just all kinds of really interesting cards. Uh, he he just had so much hand control. He wasn't running him to Turok. But, um, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool deck. Uh, I think it's a contender for the coming weeks. Okay, cool. So we'll catch you all in our final segment. So welcome to our final segment. Um, we're going to wrap things up here and do a little bit of more talking before we uh, say goodbye for the week. Uh, first thing of note, we had a loss to the Magic community this week with the death of Eric Freiborg, also known as Hamtastic. Um, he was very big in pure MTGO. That's the site I write for. And he was also big in the MTGO community. He went to one of the uh, invitationals. So uh, we'll definitely miss him in the community, and we'll definitely send our prayers and thoughts out to his family in this tough time for them. Um, definitely. Yeah. On a lighter note, um, I forgot to mention this in the standard section, and I definitely wanted to talk about it before we moved along. Stoneforge Mystic being banned. People are asking for it. Do you think it's the right idea? Um, I don't think so at all. I think this is very similar to when people were asking for Bloodbred Elf to be banned. Uh, it's a response to the dominance of the Cobblade decks, which... I mean, yeah, they're dominating, but as we've said before, they don't have the kind of numbers that Jund had 
uh, they aren't, you know, having huge attendance percentages. Uh, so I really, I think there's no reason for Wizards to ban Stoneforge Mystic. I think doing so would be a mistake on their part. Um, I, I mean, I don't think, the Callblade archetype is good, and it's definitely the best archetype in standard, but by no means is it dominating to the point that something needs to be done, uh, on Wizards' side. And if anything, Stoneforge really isn't the problem, it's sort of Feast and Famine, uh, Obviously, I mean, Call Go was a deck before uh, Mirrodin Siege came out, but it was the release of Sword of Feast and Famine that led to Stoneforge being put into the deck, uh, and that led to this Callblade archetype. So, uh, if anything is going to be banned, I think it should be the Sword, not Stoneforge Mystic. Okay, so the way I look at it is this way. If you take out Stoneforge Mystic, you run into a huge problem with Valkut resurging. What's keeping Valkut down right now is blue-white pure Cobblade. Uh, it's just got a bad matchup for Valkut, and one of the reasons that that is is because not only does blue-white pure have the counterspells to stop Valkut from resolving Titans, but it can also attack them and riddle down, uh, whittle down their hand. Now, if you get rid of the Stoneforge Mystic, Cogo uh, had a decent matchup against Valkut, but Cogo also... It was, it was a decent match across the board, but it wasn't as powerful, not nearly as enough. So if you drop down to Kago, you see the numbers diminish for Kago in the format. So that means Valkyrie's going to do a lot better. And it doesn't even, it, it, it can still beat Kago. Uh, Cobblade has a better chance of beating Valkyrie than Kago did. Even though Kago still had a little bit, still had a good game against it, Cobblade has a really good game against Valkyrie. So in this new world where you ban Stoneforge Mystic or Feast and Famine, Valkut's too powerful. A lot of decks just can't be Valkut because Valkut usually kills you on turn 5. And that's just insane for a lot of decks. Um, like Smitty was saying, a lot of decks can deal with Cobblade. Not a lot of decks can actually deal with Valkut. So that's something I have to say. I think if you do ban Stoneforge Mystic, and I think you can make a case for it. If you do ban it, you should also ban Valkut at the same time. That really throws the format into a little bit of a spin. But I think it would even out pretty well. Um, Primeval Titan would then be used for Eldrazi decks. And Eldrazi decks are pretty pretty strong. Uh, the only reason they're not seeing a lot of play right now is because they seem weaker than Valkyrie for the most part. But uh, definitely, if you're going to b- ban Stoneforge Mystic or Sword of Peace of Famine, I think you should ban Valkyrie. Um, right now, I don't think it's, we're ready for a ban on Stoneforge, but I definitely would not be surprised if it happened. Yeah, well, with only with only about six more months of Stoneforge in standard, uh, I, I really think it would be incorrect for uh, for Wizards to ban it now. I mean, there's only six more months left in the format. Uh, making any major change isn't going to do... I mean, it, standard's not the PTQ season, so it's not like you're seeing... Uh, I mean, you are seeing Stoneforge Mystic being fairly dominant and extended, but it is not the best card in extended... Um, and same thing in standard. It's doing really well in standard, but by no means is it unbeatable. I would actually argue that Bloodbraid Elf was a much more dominating and, uh, repressive card on the format than Stoneforge is, and obviously Bloodbraid Elf didn't get banned, so I don't think we'll see a banning of Stoneforge or the Sword. Yeah, that's definitely true. The only thing to think about, though, and I think it might be prudent to let it live, but the thing to think about 
is in the final um, segment of Scars or uh, Newphrexia. Sort of, sort of fire and uh, uh, sorry, sort of war piece is going to come out. Probably some more equipment. Um, if they don't introduce a radical hate card, it might be banned because we're going to get a lot of new options with this next set. So that's definitely something I would keep an eye on. Yeah, having having three of the swords in standard and a way to easily tutor them up uh, could become a problem, but assuming that uh, the Sword of War and Peace isn't just completely busted, uh, like Sword of Fire and Ice type busted, um, I don't. I, I mean, it'll it'll be good, but I don't think it'll necessarily make uh, Cobblade any better than it already is. Although giving your Squadron Hawks protection from other Squadron Hawks is pretty good. Yes, definitely. Um, what type of hate card would make Stoneforge less relevant? Maybe one black and a red, destroy target creature, destroy target equipment. Hmm. Who knows? <laughs> okay, so... Um, well, <laughs> what you, what? I mean, people people could just play more Shatter Effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the thing about Stoneforge Mystic is when you're playing Shatter Effects against Stoneforge Mystic, you're losing value on the situation. I mean, sure, they'll have a Squire left, but they're still up a creature on board, and a lot of decks are playing extra um, Stoneforges, so it's definitely not a situation I like to be in to shatter a Stoneforge Mystic Sword. Although sometimes it's the right play. I'm just saying it's not a it's not a good value situation for you. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's move over to our contest. We got five entries um, for the week. Five correct entries. They were from. <laughs> Uh, John, Sam, Corbin, Kenny, and Alex. I put them all through the random number generator, and the winner was John Sandstedt. So if you can contact us, we can definitely get, uh, I can definitely send you that Elspeth, uh, Knight Errant, the dual decks version on MTGO. So get in touch with me during the week, and I will send that to you. Congratulations to John. Okay, so what else do we have to talk about here? Um, I can't think of anything, to be honest. Uh, I'm really excited about the Grand Prix coming up next week. Uh, I think it'd be cool if we could get some interviews from pros or something like that. Uh, we'll definitely have a pretty special episode next week, uh, although I'm wondering if it may have to come a day late due to travel and whatnot to and from the GP. Yeah, that's definitely true. It probably will be a day late. Um, I'll have to see what I can do to rig up a mobile recording device. So I'm not sure about that, but... uh Definitely, we'll have some interesting stuff next week if we can. Yeah, and if anything, we can just, you know, speak to pros and have uh, some expert testimony on uh, some questions. So uh, definitely, if you're going to listen to an episode, next week's episode is going to be really awesome. Well, what I'm really hoping to see is next week we'll be able to put the title as MTG Tournament Cast Wins Grand Prix Dallas. That would be <laughs> fantastic. That, um, that should be the goal. Yeah. I had to, I wanted to mention one more thing here. Um, the last episode of Limited Resources, I know I mentioned them last week, but this week their episode was fantastic. It featured none other than Mike Flores, and um, he gave a lot of good information on how to play the game. He's talking about how he admired Tim Duncan's stoicism in basketball and how he thinks we as Magic players should ha- take that same stoicism into our games. Um, just let things roll off our backs. Um, there's a lot of luck in this game, and if you let you, if you, if you don't take it into, uh, take it too hard, if you just pass that luck off as luck, 
and you just play to your best of your ability, you're going to do a lot better. So that's definitely something I thought I really enjoyed. Um, he goes into it a lot more deeply in the podcast, so I say definitely check that one out. Um, I think it was Limited Resources episode. Um, I'm actually not sure what episode it was, but definitely it was the last one, so definitely check that one out. Uh, so do you have any other shout-outs? Um, I don't think I have any other shout-outs this week. You got any shout-outs? Um, I actually have kind of an anti-shout-out that uh, a friend of mine wanted me to say, and that's uh, a big shame-shame to Michael Posgay. Uh, I'm sure he's he's been kind of the, the talk of the Magic community recently. Uh, he, he's been known for to make some shady plays um, and actually recently received a six-month six month banning from the DCI for uh, his actions at one of the Star City events. Uh, having listen to various players uh, speak about uh, things that they've witnessed him do, whether it be drawing extra cards or the old play a spell and then pick it right back up and put it in your hand, uh, drawing extra cards. Like, I mean, I, I think that, if anything, he should have been banned longer than six months because, I mean, just he, he was being such a dishonest player and... Uh, I mean that it's just that that kind of stuff takes away from the integrity of the game. Uh, it's I, I just it it kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think that people would do something like that for yeah. a card game. Definitely, I've run into people like that before, and it's definitely not fun. Um, I guess then we'll uh, talk about our contact information. You can reach our podcast at mtgtournamentcast dot gmail. I mean at gmail dot com. Um, you want to give your information, David? Uh, yeah, as always, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash decampa93, or at decampa93. And um, how about you, Jake? You can find me at Jake Antonetz on Twitter. That's Jake, A-N-T-O-N-E-T-Z. You can also find my articles each Friday on puremtgo.com. Uh, this last week I did a video, I did videos on goblins. I went three and one, so it's definitely a strong budget deck in this format, although I wouldn't play it um, personally in the Grand Prix. It's definitely a contender. So uh, speaking of the Grand Prix, to kind of finish it up, uh, what are you looking at playing? What do you think is going to do well? Uh, what would you recommend people to bring to the tournament? My recommendation is Edgar Flores' list, if you have the skill to play it. Um, it doesn't take as much skill to play as Jerry Thompson's list, but it still takes a considerable amount of skill to play correctly. Um, I definitely love that deck. It's pretty resilient on most all fronts. Uh, there was, there's not a matchup I really hate. I don't mind any of the matchups, so definitely fun. I played against a, uh, Vampire's deck today that got me down to two life. Um, I had, I had Mulligan down to five or something. I, I was stuck on land for a long time. But they got me down to two life and they had a Bloodgast, a Cluster Highborn, and a Gatekeeper in play. And all I had was, uh, I think, a Jace. But I, I pulled it out with Gideon and some shenanigans. It was really fun. So, definitely a lot of fun to play that deck. That's good. Uh, so what, uh, what, I remember last week you said that you recommended the blue-white-black version. Uh, what, what has changed your opinion on that? As we talked about during the standard segment, I just think that, um, it's become too inbred, as they were saying yesterday in the coverage on SCG Live. Um, Blue White Black, Esper Blade is focused on the mirror match, and it's gaining, gaining a little bit of percentage bonus against that mirror match. 
but a lot of other decks are just playing to its weaknesses and not having three-day Judgment's main board and a lot of other things that just the deck doesn't deal with very well. And it's got well, a tectonic edge. Yeah, the, yeah, tectonic edge just destroys the blue-white-black deck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely lose not having the best man land in standard in Creeping Tar Pit, but for the extra stability and the tectonic edges, it's, it's a good trade in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely think whatever deck I end up sleeving up for the Grand Prix is going to have Tectonic Edge in it. Um, as for me, I'm kind of up in the air between the Blue-White Cobblade and a Green-White Vengevine variant. Um, I've always been a fan of Vengevine decks. I mean, I played Nye Shaman last season. I played Bant Shaman at the beginning of this standard season. Um, and I was really excited about Ryan O'Connor's uh, Nye Shaman deck that he did well with at uh, Star City Dallas. So... Uh, I've I've always been a fan of recurring Vengevines, so there's a good chance I'll be playing the green-white deck, but I do have the blue-white call uh, as a, another possibility as well, although I will definitely be looking into decks like Elves and uh, even that Jun list. I mean, there was, there was an Elf deck that <laughs> was in the top 32 of uh, the most recent Star City, Star City Atlanta, so I think there's a lot of options for the format. Uh, obviously, I think the blue-white Cobblade deck is the best, but I think that the green-white deck has a lot of a lot of punch. So, th- those are those are my two suggestions: either green-white or uh, Cobblade, blue-white Cobblade. Cool, cool. So, I think that's it. Unless there's anything else. Nope. Uh, hope everyone has a good week. Cool. Have a good week, guys. <laughs>